0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.
1: Thank you for listening to the podcast and allowing me to share these incredible stories. You can hear new stories every week on Amazon Music and ad free for Amazon Prime members. I'm Benjamin Hall, and I'm searching for heroes. In 2014, Second Lieutenant John Arroyo was shot in the throat and the neck at a mass shooting at Fort Hood by another soldier who went on to kill four, including himself, wounding 16 others. John's recovery itself is remarkable, but it wasn't the first battle he went through. John's journey includes a childhood in Southern California as a tattooed member of a violent street gang and that of a hopeless teenage drug addict. He enlisted in the U.S. Army and ultimately became a Special Forces Green Beret and a highly decorated officer, having served two tours of duty in Afghanistan and one in Iraq. John's story of the journey to the very edge of darkness also includes, as does my own, the story of his brave, supportive wife, Angel, who was there for every step of it. John and I uh, have a lot in common. We were both injured. We were both near death. We both heard a voice at that moment, that saved us. And we were both treated at the same military facility at the Brook Army Medical Center. And today's talk is perhaps the most personal to me so far. And it is about what got us through the really hard times. Well, today, John is now helping others. He preaches the gospel. He talks about resilience. He talks about getting through the hardest times and finding the strength to do so. He helps others do that too. And it's about military families and how they helped. Here is my conversation with John Arroyo. You know, John, I've just been reading all the different things about your life and all the things you've gotten through, right from when you were a teenager, right on through your experience in the Army, through to Fort Hood and what you do now. And I suppose my first question is, um, are you are you a resilient man?
0: I am a resilient man, but it, to truly answer that question, I have to tell you that what the source of my resilience is because, you know, I'm a veteran and I know that we're going to talk about that. And and you've, you've been around veterans and resilience is a, is a key word. It's something that we hear in the veteran community and the first responder community, we hear it all the time. Are you resilient or, or you have to be resilient, or this is what it takes to be resilient. But I often don't hear what is the source of resilience. And and that has been something that I've had to figure out over the process of my healing. So I am a resilient man, but to answer your question, I have to tell you what the source of my resilience is because not all sources of resilience end up in the same, with the same outcome. There's a fork in the road and they don't all lead to the same endpoints. So, And you've had so- quite
1: a few forks, uh, loads of forks, haven't you? I mean, right from the beginning, um, you, know, you had a number of times in your life where you had to pick one or two directions and every time you found the strength to pick
0: the strength one, the resilient one. Yeah, yes, sir. Yes. And, and, you know, early on when I was young, those were, those were, you know, I had a grandmother that was a very, a woman of faith, uh, the Christian faith. And, and I believe that her relationship with God was, was what brought me through. But as I got older, to answer your question, the first question that is, that is the foundation of my resilience. The foundation of my resilience is my relationship with Christ. But beyond that it's my family it's community it's it's those other things but the foundation of my resilience is yes i'm a resilient man but it's because of my relationship and and who i know is my creator
1: when did you first sort of discover that because when you were younger you were in a street gang you know you were surrounded by drugs i mean did did something happen that set you towards that path of resilience was it learning your your faith from your
0: grandmother like what? How does? How did it start? You know, uh, I so the answer is my grandmother. She her relationship with God, or you know, and and I'll say this because I know that there's going to be so many people that listen to this podcast that they may have different faith, and so my relationship, my grandmother's relationship is with Jesus Christ. Um, and so early on, but we didn't, we weren't church attendees. Um, but my grandmother had a strong faith, and she was a very very fervent in prayer. And I just remember watching my grandmother, watching how she prayed and the things that she did. And whenever I would get into situations where I needed um, help and hope, I remember what my grandmother was doing. And, and, you know, let me share this one story because this is this is one of the forks in the road. 2004, John Arroyo signed into 3rd Special Forces Group, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, today's Fort Liberty. I signed in and my sergeant major tells me the senior listed advisor in my unit says John you got 15 days to get your family in order and you will be in Afghanistan we'll see you there young man so what did i do I, here i am i'm a young 24 year old 26 year old young man getting ready to go to war and i was just told get your get your family in order because you're going to meet us in in Afghanistan in 15 days and i'm like okay so what did my so here's what happened I ended up visiting some family right before I leave. Right. Cause everybody's saying their goodbyes. Everybody wants to, to meet with you. And my grandmother comes to me and she gives me this bottle of anointing oil. She gives me this bottle of oil. And she says, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles. I'm a Mexican. And she says, mijo. Right. That's some, that's, that's just, you know, that's just the our talk. That's how we, you know, she says, mijo. She says, I want you, when you go into Afghanistan, I want you to put this on everything and everyone. And I, I want you to pray. And I said, okay, grandma. Ben, you've been in a war zone combat situation. You know, all the weapon systems are out there. So here I am, I show up in Afghanistan as a Green Beret and I have every weapon system known to man to me, right? So you can say that was my source of resilience. It's is the Green Beret. I showed up and I knew that I was going to make it. How was I going to bounce back? How was I going to persevere? Well, because I knew that I had, a, I had a special forces detachment full of meat eaters that were going to help me get by. And we had weapon systems and we had aircraft that we can call in bombs. But before I leaned on my teammates, before I went to the weapon systems, I always pulled out grandma's bottle of anointing oil. And Ben, today, I call it my weapon of choice. Hmm. So before we would go out of the wire, I would pull out my weapon of choice and I would go to every vehicle and I did exactly what grandma told me to do. So early on, I want to say that that was my source of resilience. Wow. How did your teammates find that? Uh, Everyone on board? Well, one of my teammates one day walked up to me and he said, hey, John, I appreciate what you're doing, but no one's shooting at us. And he's like, I appreciate it. I I get that you're praying for us, but no one's shooting us. We're a bunch of green berets, man. We want to get it on. And we're just like, I think we're protected over here. And the guy standing next to him says, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But so that was 2004, 2005. Ben, we go back and we're in Bagram. We're getting our gear together. And we're told, expect to get blown up. Expect to go into a hornet's nest. So what did I do? I pulled out my weapon of choice. There we were in Bargram, getting our gear together, getting our vehicles assembled so that we can go back into Gardez. And I pulled out my weapon of choice. And this time we had a new medic. And the medic goes up to that guy that asked me not to pray. And he says, hey, man, what's he doing? And the guy, Ben, that asked me not to pray, he said, just let him go, bro. Just let Mm -hmm. him go. Three combat tours. And the men in my units always made it back safe. And I believe it was because of my weapon of choice. It was was my source of resilience. And so when I got broken, and I know we're going to talk about it. And so when I got broken, the way I did at Fort Hood and the way my wife had gotten broken, I had already knew where to lean because of those little markers that happened early on in my life and what my grandmother showed me.
1: And so that happened, first of all, when you were – you know, in, in a street gang. Then it happened again when you were out in the Middle East, Afghanistan, Iraq. And then, as you say, it happened when you were in Fort Hood. And one of you could talk us through what happened there.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I went from about 10 years in the military. I started considering what I was going to do next. You know, I was just like, hey, how am I going to feed my family? So I got this mm-hmm. opportunity to to go from enlisted to officer and I had been on, you know, been a Green Beret. I'd, I was in the 82nd Airborne Division, then became a Green Beret in Third Special Forces Group, and then showed up um, when I went from enlisted to officer. I left Fort Bragg or or Fort Liberty today. I left there and I went to Fort Hood, which is today known as Fort Fort Cavazos. But I showed up there about November of 2013. But what you're alluding to and what I was alluding to is what happened on April 2nd of 2014. So so five months later. Here I am. I'm a new officer, new platoon leader. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm leading soldiers as an officer now. But on April 2nd of 2014 at four o'clock in the afternoon, I had to go to my unit headquarters. And so I go and I park in the parking lot and I got to run to our supply office so I can get some information that I needed for this course I was attending. And as soon as I stepped out of my vehicle, Ben, I hear shots fired.
1: More of our conversation right after this.
0: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter, and I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to Foxnewspodcasts.com. Well, I'm a Green Beret. I know what shots fired sound like, but I'm on base. When I went to work that day, they checked my ID card and they they checked, you know. And the guy that had checked my ID card had a gun and a badge and body armor, and I was behind him. So at no point in time did I think that I was in danger. I mean, why would I? Why would I? But something wouldn't let me move past when I heard that shots fired. I, I just was like the hair in the back of my neck stood up. And I honestly was trying to discount it, Ben. I thought maybe it was. You know, we do funeral detail training. Like, you know, whenever a veteran passes away, they'll send active duty units to go do the, the graveside service. I thought it was blanks. So I look towards my one o'clock to where I heard the shots fired. And, it, and I'm what it's happened is I'm looking at a road that divides my unit, First Medical Brigade, from a transportation unit. And I'm looking to my one o'clock and I'm looking down this road and a car comes r- right from that road into the parking lot where I am. Who was up right in front of me? But I think that the vehicle is going to keep going. I mean, I'm in a parking lot. I don't, I didn't realize that the individual stopped. And I turned my head, I took my my eyes off the vehicle and I turned back. I turned back to my one o'clock and looking at that road. And the next shot I heard, I was hit. What was happening is this soldier was on a shooting spree. And he began to shoot everybody he saw. So what I heard is him shooting at people that were standing outside their unit buildings. He pulls in my parking lot. I turned my head back to to my one o'clock. And I took a 45 caliber bend that severed my jugular vein, went through my voice box and traveled into my right shoulder. On April 2nd of 2014, Specialist Ivan Lopez shot 19 of us and I was victim number 16. Then he drives off. He doesn't stick around to figure out what's, what's going to happen. And I turn away from him. I, I wasn't just going to stay there and try to figure out what he was going to do. I turn around trying to make it back towards my car. And I and I make it about probably about 10 feet. I fall flat on my face and my life is pouring out.
1: What are you thinking at that point? Is it just, is it save others?
0: Is it trying to stop the guy? Is it just stay alive? Like in, in that moment for me, I just remember thinking, was I shot? and it felt like a like a baseball bat just hit my chest and all of a sudden like all all of the air in my lungs just was like the overpressure like a overpressure just went through uh took all the air out of my lungs and i i think i was just in survival mode as soon that as totally, i realized no,
1: no pain right i mean no little pain. pain at that time
0: I, I, yeah i didn't feel any that's pain so f-
1: yeah that's so funny that's exactly how i felt as well you know after we were attacked and i was lying there leg gone foot gone burns and no pain, just this thought process, survival mode. Let's stay alive. What do we got to do? What do we got to do next? And Yeah, um,
0: that, w- that was it. Amazing. That was it. Yeah. And so I get back to my car and I, and I fall flat on my face and my life is pouring out. And Ben, I took a 45 through my throat.
1: Yeah. Most
0: of your listeners are going to understand that a 45 point blank through your jugular vein and right through your throat is an instant death situation. I'm on the ground, my life is pouring out. And I and I so I began to pray. I, I began to pray. I began to lean back on what I knew, the foundation of what grandma has showed me, right? What was the source of my resilience? Mm-hmm. And and I'm freaking out and I'm praying. And, and I and I begin thinking, what happens to my family? What happens to my children? Who's going to take care of my children? You know, Ben. For years. And, and I know you alluded to it earlier. You said, hey, we understand your life. You know, when you were younger, you got into gangs and drugs and, and all these things. At seventh grade, I'm jumped into a gang in Los Angeles. By ninth grade, I'm a teenage father. By 12th grade, I'm a, I'm a methamphetamine addict. And the reason why I joined the military is because I was addicted to drugs. That I needed I needed a change in life. And so I'm on the ground. My life is pouring out. But a little bit of my my old life, I thought about a lot of the reasons why I ended up in those situations is because my dad died when I was a young boy. My dad died when I was five years old. I never heard my dad say, I love you. And I'm proud of you. So my entire life, because of that moment, because I would never affirmed at home by my dad, I went looking for affirmation outside the home and it led me into the with the wrong group, the wrong people, or looking for affirmation in the wrong place. But along the way, even in the military, what did I do? I tried to put badges on my chest. I tried to put tabs on my shoulders. I tried to build my resume so that I can find identity in those things. Ben, when I was that on moment- the ground,
1: we, we, you were, you were thinking about leaving your family. You were thinking about putting your family in the same position you were in and taking away
0: that figure, your figure from them. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that that's right, I need, I knew that I needed to live for my family, but here's what happened. All the stuff that I thought was important, all the stuff that people kept telling me, if you have this and you have life, if you have this and you made it, if you have this and you're a man, if you have this, you're a soldier, if you have this, you're special forces. All that stuff that I thought was so important, all the stuff I tried to achieve because I was trying to find identity. Yeah. Yeah. When I was on the ground and my life was pouring out, Ben, I know that you know this. I know you know this. During that time, not one, as my life poured out, not once did I think about any of those things that I tried to fill that emptiness in my heart. The only thing I thought about when I thought I had seconds to live, were the people that I sacrificed. Do
1: you know how many similarities that has to my experience? I was lying there, and two things happened to me. One of them was family. Get home to my children, whatever it takes. That was all that mattered. In some sense, it was one of the most peaceful, straightforward moments of my life, because I just had one thing to do. Get back to my family, whatever it took. And then the other thing I did, just like you, John, is I said a prayer. I it, Nothing else. And it was very simple. And I just said, please, God, please take me home to my family. And those are the two places I went as well. Right at the end, when I thought there wasn't much left, that was it. And uh, I, I never thought I was going to die that day. I don't know whether I had total, I, I, I put total trust and faith in those two things, family and faith. And it. It got me through as well. So I totally feel you. You know what? Sometimes today when things start to worry me or bother me, I try to go back to that moment. I try to remember that simplicity of what it is. The only thing that matters are those two things, your family and what you believe in. And I still try and remember those moments. So I don't get let everything else distract me. I'm in the same place as you brother.
0: Well, you know, so I'm on the ground. I want to add this because this is really important. So I'm on the ground and I'm again I'm only thinking about what matters most. And in that moment, as you said, you prayed. I prayed as well. And I hear this audible voice. John, get up or your wife is gonna die. Ben that the voice didn't come from outside, it came from inside. And I and I shrug it off because I don't know what I'm experiencing. And I hear it, I hear it twice. But this time, the second time was more like more stern, John, get up or your wife is going to die. I can look back now, Ben, and I believe I know that God was speaking to me, but he, what he was saying is, John, if you don't get up off the ground, your wife is going to take her life because six months before and Ben, I mean, all of your listeners, people are going through stuff. I mean, if Mm -hmm. we just walked in the homes of some of your listeners, we'll find out what they're going through. I mean, what was going on in your home when you were, you know, in Ukraine and all those things that were happening to you? What was happening in my life and for my wife? Is six months before I was shot when we left North Carolina, where we had been for fifteen years, and all of our infrastructure and family and military family were, you know, were there. We moved to Fort Hood six months before when we when we transitioned. My mother-in-law and my father-in-law both died nine days apart. Two years before they died, my brother-in-law dies in a hunting accident. And so, essentially, what God was telling me is, John, if you don't get up off the ground, your wife is not going to make it.
1: Yeah. And- hey, John, my, my dad died just before I was, went to Ukraine. And when I'm I was sorry, there God. and the, the second bomb landed, I heard a voice, too. I saw my daughter's right in front of my eyes and I was blacked out. And that voice came to me too. And my daughter said to me, eight years old, Honor. she said, daddy, you've got to get out of the car. You've got to get out of the car. And I had that voice too, sent to me, whether it was from my daughter or from an angel or from God or from my father who had just died, I got that voice too and it brought me back and I grabbed for the seat at the, the, the door of the car, pulled myself out. A second before the third bomb hit the car itself, that voice saved me. That voice saved you, and I think it was also family who had passed away, looking down at us, saving us too. And uh, I, I remember that voice so clearly in this incredible moment of total horror. Um, so simple, telling me one thing to keep me alive, to keep me going. Incredible. Yeah.
0: You know, when I'm when I'm in that moment, I hear I hear that audible voice, and Ben. You had a choice. Mm. You had a choice just like I had a choice. I could have listened to the voice or I could have just stayed on the ground. And the truth is, and this is what I often speak to people, to veterans, to, to those that that need a resilient message. You know, the truth is it was easier to stay on the ground. Yeah. It, yeah. it was easier. It was easier to stay on the ground rather than to believe that I was gonna live, rather than to, to try to live.
1: Yeah, Go no, listen to that voice all the time. And I get it when, whenever now, if I'm, if I know I've got to do something, I don't hesitate anymore. When I was recovering in physio and I couldn't move in hospital, just do whatever, keep moving, never stop moving. And I think perhaps that is a big part of resilience. And the podcast is about trying to figure out what is that resilience? It's those who just keep, you never stop moving. You
0: keep taking steps forward. You keep moving. Yeah, that's true. But you know- you know you have to keep moving but you have to keep moving with the with the right source I could mm. keep moving with alcohol I can keep moving with isolation by okay. myself and those lead to nothing it's been you're right now telling your story why because what was your source to that resilience you heard that voice you got up it moved you you prayed you believed and when you when you were in the hospital because what people don't understand, when we've when you've been broken the way we've been broken, when you've taken a 45 through your throat like you, you've been blown up, um, the, the worst day is not always the day that you were shot. It's when you're in the hospital and you're trying to figure out what your life is going to be like tomorrow. And you're missing limbs and you're no longer the man that you once were. You know, here I am, my career's on this. On this trajectory, where it's shooting for the stars, and now all of a sudden, whether I'm going to be in the military tomorrow is unforeseen. And everything- so,
1: what was that like? What was that like for you then? Because you know, I asked a lot of the doctors. You and I were both treated uh, at Bamsi, the Brook Army Medical Center, and um, you know, people go in two different directions. You get those, like you said, who lose their identity, who don't know what their future holds, and you get those who are just from the beginning they they find a way to move forward. And I know from reading your story. Uh, and you write about it in your book, you were straight away. you were right, you couldn't speak. your voice box was should have been gone, but you already had a whiteboard out, trying to tell people that you were were keeping moving, and did you always feel like that like that when you woke up
0: again um, like or, or did you have to reach that point you know i I believe that I was one just like from the ground truth. I believe that I was just thankful that I was alive. One. Yeah. I was just thankful because I knew, I knew based on the injury that I had, I shouldn't have been. Mm. And and so just, I just had that, that thankfulness, but you know, in 2009, my wife and I, we had hit rock bottom. We, we, we were drunks, man. I was just be real with you. We were drunks and we ended up walking into a church. And so when we walked in this church in 2009, our lives began to change. And so when I woke up on April 2nd after or April 3rd, when I was in the hospital, I had a source of resilience was that what there was no longer just my grandmother's God, but it was my God because in 2009 we walked into that church. And so I knew I was one, I was thankful, but I knew Ben, I knew God saved me in the, in the thing that I didn't even finish saying is that when I got up off the ground and I went looking for help, and and you know this. As I was walking, looking for help, uh, there's a soldier walking towards me, and, I, and he's trying to get to me. And and I'm trying to ask him for help. He gets ten feet in front of him, and he stops. And Ben, it's the guy that just shot me. He shot me yeah. from his car. He drove off. He gets out of his car and he starts walking. We meet face to face ten feet after he had shot me, and I'm standing in front of him. He looks right at me, looks to the left and right, and it was like he wasn't even like I wasn't even there. Like he was blinded. I believe that God blinded him from seeing me and then getting me in the hands of the soldiers that saved me. And this is, this is something that that's really important. So one of the soldiers that saved me later told me, he said, I remember when you were walking, we were standing in a building and people were looking out because now at this point, people started to realize that something was going on. And somebody yelled when they saw me, They said, this is what alerted them to me. They said, it looked like I had a red scarf flapping in the wind. It was the blood that was squirting out of my neck. And one guy, Mm -hmm. one guy yells out and he says, dang, that dude is bleeding. (laughs) Ben, that guy, that guy that yelled that didn't run to me. He didn't come help me. And that's interesting. We're in a military base. And so, and so the there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this and they're bleeding. And here's the thing. So you, you asked the question, so here you are, you're in the hospital. What was your source of resilience then? It was the same God that my grandmother gave me the bottle of anointing oil. It was the one when my wife and I hit rock bottom and we walked into a church and I got, and I, and he became my God. And so along the way, it was always him. And I knew, I knew as I laid in that hospital bed with a smile on my face and saying, I'm going to make it through this. I knew he saved me. I knew he Hmm. did. And there was, I just had to walk it out now, but I was alive to be able to tell people about what he did for me.
1: Yeah. I I felt the same way. And you know, the other four people with me, uh, died that day. And I always thought (laughs) for their lives as well, Let's go on every day and make sure that every day of my life is as as great as it can be. You know, and I can help as many other people because what a waste for them to go if I don't turn this into something positive. I couldn't do that to my brother who died right there. I needed to do it in his name. But again, I know some people struggle with that. Some people get the survivor's guilt, the or so they can go in two directions. But I immediately knew I had to do the right the right thing by them
0: as well. That's it, you know. I, I often, you know, I get invited to a lot of places to do public speaking. I'm sure you do too. And you know, especially like on Memorial Day, and you know, we'll we'll be at a we'll be at an event, and I'm getting ready to speak. And you know, they'll have the sometimes the Vietnam Wall will be there, you know, the traveling Vietnam Wall, and you see all these names. And I'm like, hey, look, I don't memorialize them; I celebrate them. How do I celebrate their lives? By making sure that my life is 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 two times better because I'm li- I'm living their sacrifice for them. There were there were three men? There were three men that didn't walk out of Fort Hood April 2nd of 2014. And actually the shooter was number four. Yeah. So guess what I'm doing? Just like you. I'm making sure that their sacrifice or or the situation that they had to deal with, their family doesn't have them anymore. I'm not going to mm-hmm. go and kill myself. Because all those people that were memorializing, that, that made, made the ultimate sacrifice, those that didn't get an opportunity on April 2nd to get to hug their kid the next day, guess what I'm doing? I'm living a life that honors what happened to them. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And every time I, every time I hug my kids, I remember that too. And, and, I, and I honestly, I feel something, perhaps I feel something physical to them, which I didn't before. I think I learned another lesson of love towards him. I want to ask you about uh, the shooter and wh- how your faith sort of understands what he did. Ivan Lopez, they said he had PTSD. You know, he shot 19 people. But how do you explain that? Is that evil?
0: Is that something's gone wrong in the system? Like, what are your thoughts? I think he was broken. Honestly, me, me personally, I think he was broken. Uh, I think he was a broken soldier that didn't end up that that fell through the cracks. That's what I believe. And, um, you know, General Milley was just recently the chairman of Joint Chief mm-hmm. of Staff, but he was the Fort Hood commander when I was shot. And I ended up meeting with him a few years later after the shooting, and and um, it was myself and another woman that who had been injured and general milley told me he said john we can look back now we looked back i mean after they did the investigation like right what happened how did this happen how could this happen he said there was red flags all along there was red flags and so i'll be honest with you i don't i don't really i never really asked about what happened because it didn't really make a difference you know i mean hmm. there was 19 of a shot i mean this guy killed himself so the only thing i focused on Ben, is is the forgiveness piece. And that is one of the pieces that that helped me. And I I often say say that there wasn't 19 victims on April 2nd. There was actually 21 victims on April 2nd. 19 of us were shot, yes. Three of them died, so 16 of us lived. And then Ivan Lopez killed himself. But I also believe that the family of Ivan Lopez is victim 21. Mm. Because, I mean, think about this, Ben. Did this guy slap his kids? Did he hug his kids? What did he tell his kids before he went and shot 19 people? What happened, what kind of legacy did they have to live with? I remember seeing videos of you know media sticking cameras, like going to his apartment and and trying to talk to his wife. And what kind of shame? What what is I mean,
1: yeah,
0: what what happens to them? you
1: say you say forgiveness is what you focus on, but I think maybe the other thing is a real sense of building community, because perhaps it's a really strong community that look out for each other and, you know, create strong families. Perhaps that is the way we can sort of do our little bit to stop things like that happening, you know? And so I think it was community that also got me through. It's community that makes you strong. It's community that you work hard towards. And Perhaps sometimes we forget how important that is, and maybe if there had been community around him, So I don't know, I I sometimes think community is a thing we've also got to work on constantly, keep giving that back. And you do that. I I mean, you focus on this. One of the things you do is you help people who are struggling right now. You you know, veterans getting back into civilian life, you know, people who are struggling, you are there to help them. So tell me a bit about how you do that. Say you come across someone who is going through a difficult time, someone who is struggling, what are you saying to them uh, how are you trying to give them the resilience that you have
0: you know I, I share the steps that i went through um you know one of the things that one of the things that i do is uh one I, i've written three books now but god didn't have me write books so that i can make money he, he had me write books so that i can help people with what i went through ha- help them walk through the process and, and what did that process look like so if i get an opportunity i'm talking to someone first thing I do is, is I just kind of share a little bit about my story, just like you, right? Like you talk so that they feel comfortable that they they have that, that common ground, right? So a lot of times, and you know, this because you've been someone that's been treated by physicians. A lot of times, another veteran or first responder, someone that's been broken the way we have, they say, what qualifies you? What qualifies you, John, to be able to speak to me? So I share a little of my testimony and I let them know, hey, look, man, I'm I'm here right now just like you, and I was bleeding out on the ground, but I've made it. And and one of the things that I often share as well is, hey, look, I'm the one here encouraging you after I was shot and and was left for dead. So there's some things that I did that are that you may want to listen to. Right. Yeah. I mean, what what qualifies me to stand here like what gave me the resilience to stand on this stage or to be in front of you and to be able to encourage you when I'm the one that should probably be in the VA wrapped up in the corner in a wet paper blanket. I'm the one yeah. that maybe should be all peeled up. Why am I not on opioids or, or anxiety ridden? And so then I, I share a little of my story and I share some of the, the methods and the steps that I took that helped me to live the life that I'm living today. And then I share resources with them, like like the Warrior's Journey. Well, because I'm not an organization, I am an organization now, but there's other organizations, veterans-based organizations, faith-based veterans organizations that are willing to help you and walk that path with you, willing to walk the journey with you. The Warrior's Journey is one of them. Uh, Soft Missions is another. Of, another. Um, and so there's organizations that are out there. And if you just, Find out that, that the American people actually care for you and they want to help you. I mean, honestly, yeah. any soldier that's out there right now that's broken, there's help for you. Because, and there's reach out. endless yeah, amount reach of out organizations that are looking, they're, they're looking for you. They're looking yeah. to help you. We'll be back
1: in a moment with Searching for Heroes. You and I also share that we were both You know uh recovered at cfi center for the intrepid um brookami medical center and i just i remember early on looking around and being surrounded by other people who had gone through something similar and that helps a a million times and i've spoken to other people you know who help say opioid addicts or or people who are addicted to things and the, the people who can often most help them are other people who have been addicts in the past you know they really understand what it is like and you do you need to speak to people who have gone through something similar um and i guess that's that's what we got to keep focusing on i suppose
0: well you know and ben one of the things that i thought is i didn't when i got up off the ground before before i was shot i was going to be a fortune 500 you know going to go make money when i retired and I didn't see myself doing public speaking or anything today. Today I'm in the ministry and, and I share my story. Um, and I, and I do it in several different ways. I go to public schools and I, and I deliver a resilience message or on Sundays I'm at a church and and I'm sharing just straight on from the Bible. But when I got out and I started to start sharing my story and helping people that started helping me as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. what about you? I mean, when you started telling your story, it began to like get it out. It began to to heal you. But, but going back, I didn't see myself doing public speaking or doing any of this stuff like I was saying. But my want to's changed. I, after I got up off the ground, the Fortune 500 guy, that wasn't me anymore. The guy that the the green beret now came out inside of me again. And and the Green Beret motto is De Oppressa Liber, which is to free the oppressed. So what I did is I just started freeing the oppressed. How? Not in uniform anymore when I retired, but there's so many people that are bound. But I was still called to free the oppressed. I was still called to go and to help people out of their anxiety, out of suicide. How was I going to do that? By sharing my story and sharing my resilience.
1: Yeah, you're spot on. I One of the things I decided very early on in a couple of days, I was uh, finally made it to hospital and there I was. And I said to myself, if I'm having a difficult time, if I think this is going to be a struggle, I'm going to tell the first person that walks in the door. I'm going to say, well, how I feel, what's going on in my head. And I'd never done that my whole life. You know, I always kept it inside. You just got through things. It was fine. But it was one of the best things for me. You tell your story to people, you say how you're feeling and I'm amazed at how much that lifts off you. Once you've shared it, once you've talked about it, there you find solutions. You talk to someone about it. And I do think that some of us, many people don't do that often enough. And I, I force myself to do that. And I think others really should as well. And to all listeners, you know, if you're having a difficult time, pick up the phone, reach out to a brother of yours, say hi, say, listen, things are a bit tricky right now, or just talk openly with your family. Because I think that, Mike doesn't, it doesn't sound like much, but it helps an awful lot. It really is a a big
0: thing for me. And there was times, Ben, and I'm sure your listeners and yourself, you've been through this or, or maybe you will experience it in the future, but there were times because you'll get years down the road from your recovery, from, from your incident. And there's times when I'm sharing my story and it's not for the people that I'm sharing it to. Mm. It's for me. Yeah. I have to remember what happened and that I was given a second chance. You know, me, ben- me too.
1: Yeah. Sometimes I, I, close, I, I close my eyes and I remember what it was like to be on the floor, to be alongside my colleagues. And I, I still think about why I do that, you know, and I do it because I want to remember, like you said earlier, that none of the other small worries matter. Being alive, getting through, having your family and your faith, like that simplicity makes life sort of a a better place. And I, I, I don't want to forget that day. I, I don't want to just move on. It's part of me now. And I feel like it's important to remember that. And I think sometimes if you try to just hide what happened to you or you don't talk about it, then it brews, it causes more problems. So I'm like you, I like to tell my story sometimes. It helps me out a lot. Um, so yeah, I share that share that with you.
0: Yeah, and, and then, you know, my my story has become purpose, right? So you you turn your pain into purpose, Hmm. right? But, or you turn your pain into passion. What, you know, what keeps you up at night? Well, guess what? I know, I know like me that there's a fatherless generation out there. So what I'm doing now is my goal. My mission is to, is to go and reach the fatherless generation and let them know and share with them the same thing that I never heard. I love you and I'm proud of you. And, And one for me, also, is, is to go back to, to the Bible, for is to share with some people, hey, you're loved. And so what am I doing? I feel that I have a purpose, that I have a mission today, and, and I'm taking my story. That's usually the door opener that gets me in the door. And then guess what? God will put me in front of somebody that needs to hear, needs hope that day. And I get an yep. opportunity at the end before I leave to say, you know what? I love you, and I'm proud of you, and those are two things I never heard my dad say.
1: Yeah. Well, you mentioned hope right there. It's interesting. You know, you you said that you beforehand you hoped that you would become a Fortune 500. You had all those ideas. Like, how important do you think hope is? Like, should people have hopes and dreams and desires in life, or do you do you think that those aren't necessary? I mean, some people need to be driven. Some people need places to go to. I mean, in recovery, I always hoped that I could walk further one day than I did the day before. I hope that I could move a limb that I couldn't move the day before. So like, how important do you think hope is? And when you're teaching and talking to people right now, do you say have hope, have something to work towards?
0: Yeah. uh, You know, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. So there's, there's something really important to having hope because people that hope on things and they don't get it, it makes your heart sick. And so, you you have to have something that you're looking towards. I mean, it's little kid, just think about this. Think about a little kid when they're waiting for their daddy to get home at the end of the day. I mean, they're hoping and think about that excitement when dad walks in the door, that little kid just walks up. That's hope, man. You know, that 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 little kid is looking out the window, waiting for dad to pull up or or mom to pull up from work, whatever that looks like. But but then you 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 take that and you multiply that older when you became a teenager and then, and then when you become an adult, hope, hope is so important in life and and it's a driving force. And if, and if you don't have hope, it could kill you. And I believe, you know, Ben, one of the things that my former boss used to say is he said, you know what, when you lose hope, you can potentially lose the last line of defense and, and then, then you have the ability, without hope, it'd be easier for you to take your life. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I didn't, that I stopped doing, and, and I believe that, that it was another miracle. I used to drink a lot, but when I got up off the ground, the desire to drink alcohol was gone. And, and I, I often tell people, look, one of the things I did in my recovery is I ensured that I didn't drink alcohol. Because I did a lot of dumb things back when I was young under the influence of alcohol. And I believe today, Ben, I believe today that there are many veterans and just people in the world that killed themselves because they got drunk that night. So what happened? Yeah. They got drunk and they lost hope. Yeah. If, they wouldn't, if they wouldn't have gotten drunk, they probably would have had that hope to, to just push towards the next day or make that phone call. And so I think without hope, it could potentially be uh, harmful.
1: Yeah, it's a, you hear so many stories of how alcohol leads to to some of the the worst, the, the suicides and the behavior. You, you mentioned family quite a lot, and we can't finish without talking family. Like you and I have been so lucky and blessed to have incredible wives by our side, and I don't think they get enough credit. You, know, my wife Alicia, from the second this happened she knew that her life was changed as well. Like Our lives are different now. You walk around on prosthetics, you know, you've got all these different things you can and can't do, and yet not for a single second did she say we can't do this or this is going to be difficult. You know, she, every step said, whatever we've got to do, we'll do it together. And so I think we've got to be pay credit to, to our family members. And I know that, Angel, your wife, was the same,
0: right? She was like that straight away from the beginning. Yeah. She was with me all the way, you know, um, and you know, one of the things in my recovery, you know, you and I, we, we share one of our physicians. We, we both had them. um, Mm -hmm. And what a lot of people don't understand is that when you go through something like the, what I went through and what you went through, uh, we can't forget that our family members are going through it with us. And like my wife who had just lost her parents who just lost, you know, her brother, I mean, those were significant issues that that she was she was bleeding out. The the thing about our situation, Ben, and their situation is that their wounds aren't aren't visible. Your wounds were visible, so it's easy for your doctors to triage you. Easy for the doctors to triage me. Easy for the nurses to want to put a bandage and say, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" Easily for the counselors to run up to us and want to walk us through the process. But what they don't know and, what, and one of the things that I often tell people is I told my counselors the truth and I gave them answers to questions that they weren't asking. That's what helped me. Why mm-hmm. do I say that? Because they didn't know that my wife had lost both her parents. They didn't know that she lost her brother. They didn't know all those things that were going on in our life. And so when I, when I ensured that my family was included, when I brought my wife into the fold and said, babe, I think you need to meet with the counselor as well. Because they go through it too. They live this with us. They walk through the through the trauma with us. They go through the recovery. They're at the doctors with us. Every step of the way, their lives are forever changed. And so yeah. um, everything that you're saying, yeah. brother, it, and uh, it's really important that we really focus on them and take care of them. One of the things, and I don't know if you dealt with this, but I think a lot of veterans deal with this. You're trying to look for purpose. Here I am shot. And it took me a while, Ben, for my mind to catch up with my injuries. In my mind, I was, still, I was still the guy that was this officer and I was gonna keep char- hard charging. But my injuries and, my, and what I thought I was gonna be able to do were two different outcomes. It took me a while to slow down. It took me a while to slow down until one day one of my case managers at the CFI, the Center for the Intrepid sat me down and said, John, slow down. And it wasn't until she said that to me that I was willing to do self care because we're not good at taking care of ourselves we're good at taking care of other people but we're not good at taking care of ourselves especially as soldiers we're used to and even for our families we're used to trying to take care of everything for them but when i slowed down to care for myself well then that's caring for my family
1: yeah it's interesting isn't it there's a line isn't it where you've got to you got to care for others. you got to look out for others. And I think that if you forget others and you think only about yourself, then you become too self-centered. So you've got to find a balance as well. Right? You know, there are right. some people who make it all about them, how they're injured. And maybe that's something that has to be shifted as well. It is about the community and who's around you and what's going on. Definitely community.
0: And your family is the very first community, right? That, that you have to focus on first. Um, and so when I slowed down, it, it allowed me to to focus on allow myself to heal and to and to let people help me right as a green beret as an army officer uh, it was hard to let people help me because I was used to being the one to help people but but what I was trying to say is that when i when I slowed down to to identify and triage and let people help me, then I was slowed down long enough to see that what my wife was going through
1: yeah yeah, because and when, you are when helping I, people, yes. yeah, yeah. That's it, man. You, you are. And that's what you got to keep on doing. And I suppose just to finish this up, um, if you had to send sort of a message out to people who are struggling right now, you know, someone who was having a difficult
0: time, well, what would you say to them? Get up. That's, that's the message that I received when I was on the ground and I was bleeding out was get up. And just like you, Ben, I got up on April 2nd because my family was worth it. And maybe some of your listeners, they don't have a family. But just get up because you're worth it then. Then you're the one that's worth it. And you know, just like you, Ben, when I got up April 2nd, I didn't know what was going to happen. And 10 days later, it didn't look like things got any better. But when I got the doctor's report that your arm's never going to move again, you're never going to speak again, I just got up that day, the same day I did it, the same way I got up April 2nd. And six months later, when when it didn't look like things were getting any better, I had to get up on that day as well. And so I just tell people to get up and face that day and believe me and trust me. Things will get better. They will get better. Just get up.
1: And you are living proof of that, John. Hey, brother, what a pleasure to meet you and speak to you today. You know, uh, I'm reminded of how I'm going to go find my family right now. I'm going to go remember what it's all about. And uh, thank you for giving me that today as well. Thank you, brother. And people should go out and they should read your books as well. They are so inspiring as well. So never stop. And uh, I look forward to meeting a person too.
0: Yeah, yeah. If if anyone wants to follow us, they they can just follow me at getupwithjohn.com. So they can just go to getupwithjohn.com. There you go. John, thanks for being here. Thanks, Ben. Well, John's story is, I think
1: the most personal to me. So many of our stories combined hearing that voice, I think is, is really unique. And, you know, John says it was a voice from God who willed him on, who saved him that day. Now, when I was in Ukraine, we'd just been bombed. It was my daughter's voice that I heard, but whether you think it is God, whether you think it's your daughter. I think it is finding something inside you that means everything to you. That is what gave both me and John the will to keep going. And when you have everything taken away from you, that's where you go to. And so I think we really share that. And of course we also share the fact that we were treated in the same place at uh, CFI that's the center for the intrepid an incredible center in San Antonio, Texas. But one of the things that stands out most to me when I listened to that interview with John is that John got through two very difficult things. One of them was an incredibly difficult upbringing. He was in street gangs. He was on drugs. That's something he put himself into, and he found a way out of it. He used his religion to find a way out of it. And then something else happened to him that wasn't his fault. He was injured. He got shot in the neck, and he found a way through that as well. And I just have to say, I think John is someone who his whole life has shown again and again, including his tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, that whatever you throw at him, he will find a way through it. And maybe that's what I want to try and find out throughout this podcast is how he has that. How do people get that? How can we pass that on? For him, it was religion. For me, it was my family. And for John, it was his family, too. And it's amazing because he also talks about his wife, Angel, and how she was there throughout all of this. So I just think he's got a few of those incredible self beliefs that make him stronger, religion, family, the will to succeed. The military taught him so many things about life as well, but he went out and he searched for something because he knew he needed change when he was young. And then when he was injured, he went out and he searched for something to make him better. So really, really enjoyed that. And I think, again, it just reminds us that there are paths through anything whether it is a situation that you have been placed in or whether it's a situation that you put yourself in, you can get through either of them. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. It's a great pleasure as ever to have you guys on board and I'm looking forward to the next one too. Listen ad-free with a Fox News podcast plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.